Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today with warmer weather drawing all of us outside, including the family dog, it's time for a reminder about the dangers of tick-borne illnesses such as Lyme disease. Also this morning, what are the things that make life worth living? Perhaps the key to being truly alive is in learning how to be dead. It's not as morbid as you might think. In case you missed it, Flag City Honor Flight is taking to the air again this year with their busiest schedule ever to make up for lost time beginning this morning. And Father's Day is coming soon for anyone with a difficult-to-buy-for dad, which is almost everyone. We have great gift ideas that won't break the bank. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Tuesday, June 7th, 2022. If you need a reason to celebrate, today is Daniel Boone Day. It is also June Bug Day. Those little June bugs that, ugh, man. I did not know this. I looked this up. Um, uh, you know those June bugs, like cicadas, they actually live underground uh, for like three years before they emerge, usually in the month of June. That's why we call them June bugs, the little scarab beetles. Uh, but they live underground for like three years before they uh, appear to uh, to mate and to find food and, and all of that. I did not know that. They live underground for up to three years. National Chocolate Ice Cream Day. It is Trial Technology Day and VCR Day. When was the last time you watched anything on a VCR? Um which uh, is uh, kind of interesting. The fact that it's VCR day is because uh, on this date in 1965, Sony Corporation introduced the home video tape recorder. Yes, 1965. I think most of us didn't have a VCR until probably, what, the early 80s? Maybe even a little bit later? But it dates all the way back to 1965. Uh, Sold for $995.00. When it was originally introduced, which was the equivalent of something like $1,600 today. Think about that. Spending $1,600 for a picture quality of a VCR. That's uh, Let's see. So this is uh, an, an interesting story. Uh, out of Great Britain, apparently, uh, more than 3,000 British workers will be participating in the largest trial ever undertaken of a four-day work week. And I'm not sure when this begins, uh, whether it actually begins today. Is that it begins today, they work Tuesday through Friday? Or will it start next week? I don't, anyway, it says here, 3,300 British workers participating in the largest trial of a four-day work week. It is a six-month experiment that will be looking at how this new schedule, a four-day work week, impacts stress, uh, job and life satisfaction, travel, energy use, and, of course, productivity. Uh, Participating companies include a brewery, a game developer, a number of charities. So... This is across multiple business categories. Now, there was an experiment that was similar to this in Iceland back in 2015 that yielded 
overwhelmingly positive results, it says here, but it was not as not as many people participating. This is more than 3,000 workers. Uh, the, the kicker is that uh, you have to be at least as productive in your four days of work as you were with your five days of work. And by the way, they're not cutting workers' salaries. They're not cutting pay. They're just cutting the number of hours down from 40 to 32 so you get four days. And here's the thing. Some of the things that I don't know about this experiment. Do the workers get to choose which day they want off? Uh, can you take, say, a Wednesday off? Can you work two days, take a day off, work two more days? Can you work Tuesday through Friday? Can you work Monday through Thursday? Or is there a set, still a set schedule? It's just four days instead of five. And again, it's working fewer hours. I mean, because there are a number of jobs where you can work four days, like four 10-hour days, get your 40 hours in, in four days. That's not this. They are actually cutting the number of hours, but they are not cutting the pay so long as your productivity remains at least as high as it was working five days a week. And I've always thought that that's really not a bad bad deal. I mean, if you work in a an industry where you can measure productivity. It's not always easy in, in some business categories, but if you're, say, in sales uh, or something like that where you have goals to reach and you can reach those goals in you know 20 hours a week and that's all you have to work to reach your goals and the company is satisfied with you reaching those goals, uh, then why not? I mean, uh, if you base the work week on productivity benchmarks instead of the number of hours worked uh, that potentially could work out better for everyone. It'll be interesting in six months to follow up and see where this goes. Uh, a lot of it, a lot of uh, workers uh, obviously going to be very happy about this because uh, the price of gas uh, now at four eighty-seven a gallon, according to AAA, that is 25 cents higher than last week. The latest states to join the $5 a gallon or higher club are Michigan and Indiana. And you noticed here in our area yesterday, prices jumped up over $5 a gallon. Statewide, the average is not there yet, but we can't be that far away in Ohio. Um, for the cheapest gas in the country, it's Georgia. Where the average is just under four thirty a gallon. And they say more price increases are likely. Have you have you noticed on social media that this has become sort of an odd bragging point for people? I mean, people are commiserating about how high gas prices is, but it's an odd competition. It's sort of like in the winter time where people argue about the misery of having more snow. Well, we had three inches of snow. We had six inches of snow. Well, that's nothing. We had a foot of snow. Oh, that's nothing. We had two feet of snow. You know, it's people like argue for bragging rights about how miserable it is. And this is happening with gas prices as well. And I'm wondering if these companies are <laughs> paying attention to that. What's one of the things that they're running up prices to give people something to quote unquote brag about? Or I don't know. It's just weird. It seems like there's some sort of um, I don't know, bizarre uh, bragging right about having the highest gas prices. I don't get it. But uh, 
That is one of the things that is uh, leading to more people uh, going back to their employers and saying, hey, we want to go back to the remote work schedule. With uh, soaring gas prices, it costs more, costs more now to drive to work and back every day. And, of course, everything else is getting more expensive. Lunch, uh, food prices are going up, so, you know, eating out for lunch, um, updating your work wardrobe. All of these prices are going up, so many U.S. workers are asking employers to let them go back to remote working uh, as a way to offset inflation. However... Uh, it may not necessarily be the money saver that you think it is. Uh, while working from home means skipping the commute and maybe reducing certain expenses, it also, uh, remember, is not free, especially when you take into account rising energy costs. If you're working at home, you're going to be using more energy in your home, and electricity costs in April we're up 11% from last year, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics and the Consumer Price Index. So before you think, oh, we should be working from home and it'd be cheaper, maybe, maybe not. It's kind of interesting story that I saw on the uh, Newswire. A couple of other uh, interesting stories among the first things you need to know. The most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. Boy, this is something out of 2001, A Space Odyssey. An artificial intelligence program has developed its own language and no one can understand it. OpenAI is an artificial intelligence systems developer. Uh, their programs are incredible examples of supercomputing, but there are some quirks. DALI E2 is OpenAI's latest system that can generate realistic artistic images from user-entered text descriptions. You tell the computer, draw a woman with blonde hair and blue eyes, and it will do it. Uh, and uh, Daily, uh, Dali E2 says represents a milestone in machine learning. OpenAI says the program learned the relationship between images and the text used to describe them. Uh, so you can say, with flowing hair and... Uh, Mona Lisa smile, and the computer knows what all of that means. A demonstration of DALI E2 includes interactive keywords for visiting users to play with and generate images. Uh, toggling different keywords will result in different images, styles, and subjects. But the system has one strange behavior that they cannot figure out. It is writing its own language of random arrangements of letters, and researchers don't know why. Is this a wee bit frightening? You know, <laughs> is this the first step in computers taking over the world? It's created a language that only it understands. That is just more than a little creepy, don't you think? Weird. And uh, lastly, among the first things you need to know, I don't want to say that we're doomed. We may be doomed. And lastly, this morning, among the first things that you need to know, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day, as Paul Harvey used to be fond of saying, this day's news of most lasting significance could be this. The experimental drug Dostarlimab, I think is how you pronounce it, has demonstrated impressive results in clearing, clearing rectal cancer. 
The drug was given to 12 people over the course of six months in a study done at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York. And after six months, cancer was undetectable in each and every one of the patients in the trial. Additionally, the side effects of the drug were mild enough not to interfere in daily activities. The drug works by helping the immune system identify and destroy cancer cells. Obviously, more study is needed. Twelve people does not make for uh, a, a sufficient study to authorize widespread use of this, but the implication of a non-invasive cancer killer uh, is exciting for doctors and patients alike. After six months, the cancer was cleared completely, undetectable. That could be a huge breakthrough. And you heard it, heard it here first. There you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Tuesday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather, mostly cloudy today with showers and storms possible. High of 75, becoming partly cloudy tonight, uh, low of 58. The Finley Police Department is reminding everybody to secure the doors and windows on their property. The reminder comes as police have taken some burglary reports from residents in which the method of entry was the same in each of the incidents, with the burglar entering through unlocked doors and windows. Once inside the residence, the suspect would grab purses, wallets, cell phones, credit cards, and more. Police say a suspect in the burglaries has been identified and police are urging residents to always report any suspicious activity. Mark your calendar for Flag City Night Out. The police department says this year's event will be held on Tuesday, August 2nd. Finley Police Officer Brian White says public safety professionals enjoy interacting with kids at the event. In just my short stint in crime prevention, I have had kids that I have interacted with in school say, hey, you know what, I'm going to join the police academy and uh, this is what I want to do simply because they, those relationships that were built. And he says night out is a great way to meet friends, neighbors, and public safety professionals that share the same passion for a safer community. Get more on Flag City Night Out and see video from last year on the website. The Ohio Casino Control Commission has announced the start date for sports betting in Ohio. January 1st, 2023. That is when legal sports betting will be allowed in Ohio. The Casino Control Commission has officially announced that universal start date as Ohio joins more than two dozen other states with legal sports betting operations. Ohioans will be able to bet using phones at certain lottery kiosks at bars, standalone sports books, casinos and racinos, and possibly near actual stadiums, depending on how the licensing is distributed in the coming months. I'm Jack Crumley. Ohio's fair season is almost here. There are 94 county fairs in Ohio, including the Ohio State Fair. The Hancock County Fair in Finley, as usual, will be held Labor Day weekend. The Putnam County Fair is one of the earliest fairs and will run from June 20th through the 25th in Ottawa. Get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Well, as uh, the weather warms up and we get back outside and our pets get back outside uh, more often and uh, we're enjoying all of that time uh, in the great outdoors, a big reminder here that Lyme disease is a growing threat this year in the U.S. And while that does affect both animals and humans, it is one of the most common tick-borne illnesses transmitted to dogs. And joining us this morning is Dr. Chris Adolph. 
Uh, he is a veterinary specialist in uh, parasites involving uh, animals. And uh, Dr. Adolph, talk a little bit about the uh, growing threat. This is not necessarily new. This is actually something that has been uh, of concern for the past several years. Oh, absolutely. This isn't a brand new thing, but uh, it's, it's a new thing in certain areas of the United States. And, and here's why. You've got um, kind of an expansion of the ticks that have traditionally been uh, you know, spreading this in certain areas like upper northeast states down through New England, down through uh, you know, getting down to Carolina. But these ticks are on the move. And there's a lot of reasons why that happens, but they seem to be kind of moving together in that Midwest area, especially in Ohio. Right. When you look at Ohio dogs. Right. Uh, you had uh, last year, like 178,000 dogs tested. Guess what? You had over 6,500 dogs positive. So that's like one in 30 dogs. And so, you know, we may not have been dealing with it as much before, but we're certainly seeing uh, an increase now. So does does that make uh, Ohio in general and Northwest Ohio in particular kind of a, a hot spot for uh, Lyme disease? I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you want to be on the lookout. I mean, you're certainly not in the, in the range of certain areas of Pennsylvania where, you okay. know, like one in five dogs could be positive, right? Right. So, but you need to be aware because, I mean, you don't want to play a statistical game going, well, you know, it's only one in however certainly. many, but that right. could be your dog. And yeah. you don't want that to happen. You want to take all the preventive measures you can. So what are those preventive measures? What should we be doing? Certainly. So there's, uh, you know, I've got good answers for dogs and, you know, like suboptimal answers for people. So <laughs> for dogs, and, and we all share an environment, right? We share the environment. So what can we do with the dogs? Well, once a month administration of a drug like Semperica Trio, right? So in addition to protecting against heartworms and some intestinal parasites, it's labeled for five species of ticks. One of the ticks transmits Lyme. Recently, a label claim has been added that it can prevent the transmission of the bacteria that causes Lyme by killing the tick, which is huge. In addition, there are vaccines that can be administered as well to kind of have that most comprehensive uh, prevention that you can have. Uh, if you're a person, I don't have great news for you. You know, we don't have a monthly pill like that. We don't have a vaccine. So we go share that environment with our pets. We have to put our pants in our socks and we have to spray with repellents. And so, uh, now they certainly have it better than we do in this area. Yeah. Um, what are the signs? How, uh, is there a way, an outward way to detect, uh, if, uh, an animal has contracted, uh, Lyme disease? Well, in most cases, you know, you're absolutely going to need your veterinarian in the loop here because, while some dogs will show some outward clinical signs or symptoms like, uh, you know, drinking more water, going to the bathroom more, fever or limping, lots of stuff can look like that. So uh, if they're showing any of those outward things, if that's a trip to the veterinarian, that is, uh, you know, some testing to figure out where we're at, what are we going to do? Mm -hmm. The vast majority of these are picked up on a screening test. So you go in for your, your vaccines, your veterinarian's like, oh, we also need to do these diagnostic. We need to do these tests. And so a lot of dogs are picked up positive and they're detected spring, summer, fall. And so that kind of puts a false narrative in our minds, but they were most likely infected in the cold months. All right. So these ticks that spread the Lyme bacteria are most active October through February. It, 
it doesn't need to be much above freezing for those ticks to be active. And when they're active, they can actively spread this to dogs. So most dogs acquire the Lyme bacteria when it's cold and then they diagnose it when it's warm. So what is the, uh, the takeaway uh, then for uh, pet owners when it comes to protecting our animals uh, from this? What is the ultimate takeaway? The ultimate takeaway should be this. Year-round tick control, giving a medication once a month that has high efficacy against ticks and can you know, affect the transmission of the Lyme bacteria year-round vaccines in the very heavy endemic areas. And so if you know anybody listening wants to uh, get more information, you can go to simpericatrio.com. That's S-I-M-P-A-R-I-C-A, trio.com. And of course, your veterinarian is going to be a tremendous information source for you. Uh, we'll have uh, more information linked up at our webpage as well. Dr. Chris Adolph with us this morning uh, to talk about the uh, threat of Lyme disease uh, in our area and protecting our pets uh, as we are spending more time outside and those little ticks and other uh, buggers uh, get more active as well. Dr. Adolph, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Glad to be with you. I have a title to add to your summer reading list here this morning. The subject matter is one that I think uh, on some level many of us have been contemplating over the past couple of years. What it means to be truly alive and what are the things that make life worth living? What is it that truly matters? Uh, Laurel Schmidt is author of How to Be Dead, A Love Story. And Laurel, what inspired this book? I didn't actually start out to write this novel. Actually, I didn't start out to write a novel at all. I looked at my mom and she was, I was getting ready to retire. My mom was 90 years old, no signs of stopping. <laughs> and I thought, I thought, how did she do that? All I knew how to do was work, like two or three jobs at a time. And so I thought, you know what, I, uh, I better look into this. So I decided I would research longevity to see if I could figure out how to stay alive like she was. So I read and I started doing some writing for a blog and I thought, oh, okay, I'll write for other people my age. And all of a sudden, one day, the whole project was hijacked. I was, you know, just working away and this wonderful character, Francis Beacon, landed in my head. I mean, and it was just, it was like a meteor. The main <laughs> character, the title, the whole scenario of the book just hit my head like meteor and I was I'm a writer and so I know when I when I hear a great idea or I see a great idea or yeah. it, it's delivered if it's delivered so I grabbed the pen and paper wrote down some scribbled some things down and when I sat down to write it just started pouring out hmm. it was absolutely it. it was an adventure it was a real adventure so my quest for longevity turned into a thinking person's comedy about the afterlife. So tell us a little bit about the uh, story uh, here in the book. Sure. Uh, Frances Beacon, the main character, is a longevity guru in New York City, and she's also the author of a bestseller called Sex, Drugs, and Social Security. <laughs> and she, she brags all the time that she's going to live to 100, and she can teach you how to do that. But she gets distracted one day. She steps off a curb in front of a cab, and she is catapulted into the afterlife at the tender age of 
65. And so she ends up in the afterlife and she's deeply confused and shocked and royally pissed. And all she wants to do is go home. But instead, she's enrolled in the University of the Afterlife, UAL, where she is forced to learn the lessons that she failed to learn in life. Hmm. And she, she, she hates it. And eventually she becomes a dropout. So, but she's also under surveillance by this mysterious court. And if she doesn't perform well, they can condemn her soul to Frigus Rapono, which is permanent cold storage. So eventually she realizes that she has to, she has to face herself because that's what the afterlife turns out to be. The curriculum of the university is facing yourself and it's her own heart she decides she has a broken heart and that she has to figure out how to mend her heart and so really it's a book of about self-discovery where Francis yeah. learns that the only way the only way to live again is to learn how to be dead yeah uh really i i love the uh, central characters and again you were talking about you know looking at your mom and the way she embraced life juxtaposing that against your uh, own uh, pending retirement uh is kind of what inspired the ironic twist about a longevity coach a life coach who dies at a relatively uh young age so i love that uh, that irony of the uh, of the central character, and then it, it strikes me that even though the action and the narrative of the story takes place in the afterlife, uh, again, it's more about learning how to uh, best experience your life here on Earth, and it's not so much about the afterlife itself and maybe what comes next. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, it's the whole thing is that how do we how do we evaluate our how do we evaluate our lives? How do we make sense of it? And then the whole idea of regret and um, learning, and that we're constantly, if we're alive, we really are constantly facing ourselves, facing our flaws, and then growing. And that's what this book is about. It's very much about the idea of. Um, making choices, making the most out of every day, mm -hmm. just looking for, for the opportunities to cherish life. And so although it's called how to be dead, it's right. really about how to live. And as I mentioned at the, uh, at the outset, uh, I have a, a feeling that this is a subject matter that many of us have been contemplating over the last couple of years, especially. And uh, so maybe uh, with that, uh, the the audience who may be interested in this, because I can see it, it initially, you know, those who are getting into, you know, like the uh, the the autumn of our lives are are particularly interested uh, in this because you know as I enter that part of my life, I start to think more and more about these things. Uh, but because these are things now, but given what we've been through over the past couple of years, people of all ages are starting to think about this. Absolutely. Um, it's interesting because, you know, the book has had, it's had a very warm reception, um, both critically and just from people who have, you yeah. know, written to me or talked to me about it and all. And I do believe that the pandemic had something to do with it. 
Because once COVID hit, you couldn't escape the idea of mortality. Right. Loved ones were being snatched from the face of the earth. So I think people were forced well, to think about the meaning yeah. and, of life and and they were wondering. And and also the fact that so much of you know the things that we kind of take for granted in our own lives, the things that we do, the things that occupy our time, whether it's work, whether it's our, our hobbies, our activities, the uh, our relationship with our families or lack thereof, were really brought into sharper focus because all of a sudden so many things were kind of yanked, the rug was yanked out, uh, out from under us in that way. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and yes, so everyone was evaluating. Yeah. From whatever perspective they had to, they had to evaluate life because suddenly mortality was so real and life became so distilled mm. down to yeah. I think down to the essence. Yeah, that's a that's a good word for it. Uh, distilled. <laughs> we definitely have experienced that over the past couple of years. So without giving away uh, too much about the book, I don't want to give anything away here necessarily, but what are the answers or what are the conclusions that you come to? There are many. I mean, I I think because there aren't any definitive answers because this book is about life. And for each of us, it turns out differently depending on the choices we make. And mm-hmm. this book very much was based on my life. Um, I can say that with, uh, without shame, uh, that, that so much of what is in the story is drawn from looking at my life. But what was great about writing it is I, it was it was funny. Uh, Frances acts up a lot. She drinks and she has a mouth on her, and she likes to, <laughs> you know, buck the buck the system. So it was a lot of fun to write that part. But I also got to look at my own flaws from a distance, and um, that was that was very important. And so I think that some of the really the takeaway from the book is that. She says what Frances says, and she's testifying in court at the end, and she says what she's learned is, love all you can. It's a mistake not to. Mm. And James Baldwin said, live all you can. It's a mistake not to. So I think that at this time of life, when every day is precious, the message is don't hold back. Liberate yourself from the gaze and the judgment of other people. Forget about that. Be willfully and persistently passionate. Even dare to be spectacular. And love yourself. Love yourself because because you are worthy of love and love will come to you. Um, life is short. The time is short. And I believe that the book is saying you can live a lot in a short time. Or you can live very little in a long time. It's a choice. And you need to invest yourself in every day. If not now, when? It's a great message. Again, Laurel Schmidt is author of How to Be Dead, A Love Story. And do you have a a website uh, in conjunction with the book we can guide folks to? I do. uh, LaurelSchmidt.com. And uh, the book is also available on audio. And it's read by Barbara Rosenblatt, who's just a delightful, divine um, voice actor. So if you are an audiobook fan, Barbara Rosenblatt does an amazing job with the book. Very good. We will uh, link that up on our webpage as well. Laurel, thanks very much for taking the time. Certainly best of luck with the book. All right. Thank you very much. With delight talking to you. So in case you missed it in the news yesterday, 
Flag City Honor Flight is taking to the skies once again today. After having been grounded for two years due to the pandemic, they are taking another group of veterans to the nation's capital to see the memorials in their honor. About 80 veterans will be going to D.C. today. Actually, I believe on their way right now. And Flag City Honor Flight uh, is planning their busiest schedule ever this year to make up for lost time. Back in March, we talked with uh, Bob Weinberg about this year's busy schedule. Honor Flight National closed its doors or stopped during that yeah. pandemic, so we fly underneath that, under that umbrella, yeah. so we couldn't fly in 20 at all. Yeah. In 21, they did open the, the flight season mid-August. So we had planned last year two flies. We set up a couple of flights for I, I was September. Say, I, I seem to remember uh, talking about that. Oh, hey, we're going to get yeah. back up and running, but then... It didn't work. Yeah. So, so the Delta variants came. Veterans got nervous, so did everyone else. Mm-hmm. So we canceled our season. Flag City Honor Flight canceled their season last year. And over the course of the past couple of years, even though you weren't uh, flying, I know still fundraising and uh, doing all uh, of that... Talk about that process over the uh, past couple of years and where you are financially to be able to pull all of this off. Well, uh, our corporate sponsors have have donated have uh, uh, donated th- over those last uh, two years. Last year, we did our fundraisers, our uh, ja- uh, night jazz, mm-hmm. uh, reunion band, uh, those kind of things. So we have had money coming in, but we also haven't spent money in the last two years because right. we haven't flown mm-hmm. uh that by the way that cost has gone up substantially also in obviously the last two years. yeah so it's going to take more money going forward mm-hmm. but that machine has to start again also uh, we we were pretty silent over the last two years because the the 5013s in our community in our area uh there are a lot of people depending on them mm-hmm. and we weren't necessarily a dependent we weren't giving food and shelter to people right. we were flying to yeah. to veterans to washington so we took a little bit of a back seat to all of that we have to get that machine moving and get all of the volunteering going again and and so how do folks support flag city honor flight well, the best way to support us is just go to our website, and you can find uh, how to volunteer. You can obviously we have uh, applications there for the veterans uh, to sign up and get on board. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have uh, applications for volunteers to fly and ways to volunteer just at, for the organization, help the organization. That's what I was going to ask. Uh, you know, with respect to first of all the veterans, uh, you still have space on these uh, flights. Again, a bit of a backlog uh, over the uh, past couple of years from folks who uh, either were planned to be on a flight or were hoping to get onto a flight. So now, you know, kind of work through the the backlog there. I would e- imagine exactly. So the people that were supposed to fly in twenty and have moved to twenty one, mm-hmm. and the ones that were supposed to fly last year have moved. <laughs> Moved to that first flight this year and into the second flight also. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have to notify all those people again. We have to make sure they're still out there. They're still physically able and capable of, of flying. Yeah. Uh, and then for any remaining seats, uh, the application process is what? Fill out the it's application, just... the veteran and, and the guardian application. Okay. Uh-huh. We do have a backlog of veterans, obviously. We have a waiting list, mm-hmm. so to speak. Uh, yeah. In 2019, our last year we flew, we had, I think, 20 World War II veterans on the first flight. 
25, 24 veterans, World War II veterans on the second flight. Mm -hmm. I think this first flight in June, I believe there's two or three World War Hmm. II veterans. Those numbers are dwindling very quickly. Yes, Yes. and a lot, we've lost a lot over the last two years. Which just underscores the importance of uh, all of this. And of course, uh, beyond World War II, moving into uh, Korea and uh, even Vietnam, number of those uh, veterans getting up there in age as well. They are. Each veteran has a guardian, and that's another way folks can uh, volunteer uh, to escort the veterans uh, on their special day. And I know that is a tremendous, if you ask anyone who's ever done it, it is, I don't want to overstate this, but it can be a a life-altering experience. Yes, I say that a lot. I say it's a life-changing event for the guardians, uh, particularly the veterans, too. Uh, mm-hmm. But we find out from a lot of the guardians and family members are also guardians that will come back and, and say, we didn't know what grandpa did. We didn't know what uh, yeah. grandma or, or dad did during during the war years. And, mm-hmm. and this has brought it out. He's talking about it. Yeah. So. It doesn't have to be a family member. It can be just... Uh, anyway, you can be paired with a complete stranger that becomes like a family member by the time the yep. day is done. Absolutely. That's why I get on that website and get that application for a guardian and, and come fly. You know, over the years, there have been a number of Honor Flight chapters that have closed up shop. Flag City Honor Flight, obviously not one of those. It's been one of the most successful anywhere in the country. What do you think that is? Well, I think it's because of the people that that are working for Flag City Honor Flight, you were all volunteers, but the the board and uh, does a great job. This isn't Bob Weinberg doing this. There's mm-hmm. a lot of people yeah. that, that just jump in and volunteer and help. And then all of those guardians get involved also and start spreading the word to their neighbors and their friends and their family members how, how what a great cause it is, and mm-hmm. people get involved. We will continue until there's not a veteran left. <laughs> At least that's what we're going to try to do. We yeah. want to get them all there. Obviously, some don't, some can't, um, but we're trying to get them all there. Again, part of our conversation from back on March 28th with Bob Weinberg, Flag City Honor Flight. Their first flight in nearly three years happening today. Certainly, uh, Godspeed and best wishes for safe travels for the veterans, their guardians, the Flag City Honor Flight folks who are accompanying them uh, on that trip today. Uh, the first of what they hope to be three flights uh, this year, their busiest schedule ever to make up for lost time. If you want to hear the full interview with Bob Weinberg uh, about this year's Honor Flight schedule and uh, how to participate, how you can help make it happen, you can check out the Good Mornings Podcast Edition wherever you get your podcasts or on the WFIN app, which is free to download from the App Store and Google Play. And uh, you have to scroll all the way back to uh, March 28th, but you'll find uh, that full interview there in the Good Mornings Podcast Edition. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. A Florida man who attempted to steal a jet ski on Sunday forgot one important detail. He didn't know how to swim. (laughs) Yes, this is our dumb criminal of the day. Ronald Williams, age 48, attempted to steal a jet ski and unable to get it started, floated away on it. (laughs) So this... This just started off badly and went from bad to worse. A family getting ready to head out on their boat 
let deputies borrow the boat to catch Mr. Williams, who was still floating along the intercoastal waterway. <laughs> Video posted to the Volusia County Sheriff's Facebook page shows deputies approaching Mr. Williams with guns drawn, ordering him to put his hands up. Deputies ordered Mr. Williams to swim to the boat, which is when he told them he didn't know how to swim. One of the deputies then can be heard yelling, So you're going to take a jet ski and you don't know how to swim? <laughs> deputies tossed Williams a rope, which they used to pull the floating jet ski to the boat. Mr. Williams then taken into custody without incident. <laughs> and the jet ski was returned to its rightful owner. Not a very well thought out crime all the way around. Not just people in this country doing dumb things. Um, on a flight to Greece uh, recently, an argument uh, broke out between two siblings on board the flight. Now, siblings getting into a fight is not necessarily news, but uh, one of these siblings actually dropped his drawers, and relieved himself on his brother mid-flight before instigating a fist fight. This according to a report in the New York Post. Footage of the incident, which recently emerged on TikTok, shows Greek police escorting the man down the aisle toward the exit after the plane, which was headed to the Greek Isle of Crete, was diverted to a different Greek island. An unnamed traveler who recalled the incident said... About two and a half hours into the flight, I was waiting to go to the lavatory, and the older brother stood up, was so drunk he could barely stand. Uh, he needed to use the loo, but in his drunken state, he uh, relieved himself all over his younger brother, who then struck him, resulting in a full-on fistfight. In a statement, the British airline Jet 2 explained that the passengers later identified as Alfie and Kenneth Springthorpe, were fined nearly $63,000 and have been banned for life for their aggressive and violent behavior. <laughs> but everybody on the plane has a story they can tell. You're not going to believe what happened on our flight. That's... Back to uh, this country and stories in the broken news this morning that demonstrate that you really have to be careful what you post online because what you post in the virtual world can get you into trouble in the real world. A teenager in Georgia is being charged with making terroristic threats after allegedly threatening to kill the sheriff of Fulton County following the, the arrest of a rap star that he was a fan of. Rapper Young Thug was arrested uh, along with uh, several other members of Young Stoner Life Records, arrested back in May, charged with racketeering. He was denied bond on Thursday. Um, or the the 18-year-old, uh, reportedly upset because his favorite rapper had been arrested, posted on several social media pages threats to kill the sheriff, his wife, and the Atlanta School District police, police chief if the rapper was not released. Not surprisingly, this did not go over well. The teen was booked into jail last week on 23 counts of making terroristic threats. Yes, that is a felony. 
And he was the one denied bond on Thursday after a judge was concerned about letting him go on house arrest. So <laughs> found out the hard way that they don't take too kindly uh, that. Here's another example of people posting things online that get then into trouble uh, in the real world. A Florida man will find out his sentence this summer after pleading guilty to theft of government funds from a federal agency. Zachary Barton is a military veteran who received disability payments after claiming to be in such bad shape he was unable to lift even 10 pounds. The 36-year-old received nearly a quarter million dollars for his service-related disability, but then the money stopped because officials say they busted him posting pictures of himself weightlifting online. Now, I'm all for, you know, giving our military veterans uh, every compensation they are due. But uh, if you're claiming that you can't even lift 10 pounds and then you've got uh, videos online of yourself weightlifting, you're going to get into trouble. And uh, yet another example here, a man in Minnesota received six years in jail after posing as a Department of Homeland Security agent on TikTok. 53-year-old Rael Simmons created an account last year, had more than 10,000 followers. His account appeared to show him wearing law law enforcement attire, a rifle, a badge. He had the whole getup, but it was all fake. Simmons also charged with illegally possessing firearms, as he had a prior felony conviction in Colorado that prohibited him from uh, owning guns. A woman who is in a relationship with Mr. Simmons tipped off the FBI to his behavior after suspicious comments and claims that the Department of Homeland Security was covering his hotel stays. (laughs) So you can't even impersonate a cop online. That, again, they don't take too kindly to that. Man, I tell you, some people. There you go. That is uh, today's Broken News Report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veteran Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm-mm. Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. <laughs> Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Uh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. This message provided by WFIN. And now your daily download. The numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. A new survey commissioned by CreditCards.com finds that Americans are tipping less than they used to before the pandemic. Now, the immediate reason is, you might think, inflation. That's only part of it. Uh, It finds that the amount of Americans who say they always tip fell in 2022 compared to 2019 for most categories. In 2022, the amount of Americans that the uh, amount of Americans that always tipped restaurant servers was 73%, followed by food delivery people, 57% of Americans always tip food delivery people, taxi and rideshare drivers, 43% of us always tip those individuals, hotel housekeepers, 27%, 
and coffee shop baristas, 22%, just just one in four, fewer than one in four, uh, always tip your barista. Uh, That is all, all of those categories lower than in 2019. The one bright spot, I thought this was interesting, hairstylists and barbers. In this category, two-thirds of Americans, 66%, say they always tip, compared to 63% back in 2019. CreditCards.com senior industry analyst Ted Rossman, who has been with us on this program before, cited a combination of inflation limiting what consumers can buy, what what they can afford, and short-staffed businesses having a harder time providing the best customer service. Uh, so we're retaliating by not tipping as much because we don't feel that we're being served as well. But a lot of that uh, is beyond a company's control, certainly beyond an employee's control. Interestingly, you break down the numbers even further. Uh, young people generally uh, leave better tips. Gen Zers typically leave a 26% tip on average. Millennials leave 24%. Gen Xers and boomers are more frugal. Gen Xers with an average tip of 20% and baby boomers generally only tip 19% on average. Survey also found that that more than 4 in 10, 43% of Gen Z and millennial restaurant goers leave nothing at least some of the time. That's a large segment to not leave any. It turns out that men are a tad more generous, giving 22% compared to 20% on average for women across all age groups. However, men are more likely to leave nothing than women are. They're more generous when they give, but they're more likely to leave nothing. And those making more income, uh, the amount of their tip typically is more. Those with an annual household income of $50,000 tip 20% on average, which then increases gradually to 26%. Uh, tipping for those making $100,000 plus. So it goes up incrementally the more money that you make. Interesting stuff, breaking it down on how we tip and how we don't in 2022. Now that we are into the month of June, that means Father's Day is right around the corner, the time we give Dad his due. But unfortunately, Dads are also notoriously difficult to buy for. So we are joined by Father of Two, Trends Editor from the Daily National, the modern man, Mike Bako, with some tips and uh, gift ideas for uh, Father's Day. Uh, So... uh, Let's ask the trends editor, Mike, what trends uh, do you see for how people are celebrating Father's Day this year after a couple of pandemic years? Are we back to normal yet? Yeah, you know what? It kind of is back to normal. A lot of people getting together with their fathers. You know, that's something that we saw picking up last year, obviously, uh, whether it be going to visit them or the dad going to visit their family. It was a good opportunity for people to see each other after a year plus of, for the most part, not being able to see each other. Right. But also, when you think about the trends, you look at the numbers and you follow the numbers and you follow the dollars. And if you do, you follow it to this recent survey by the National Retail Federation. And there's telling us that 
the spending for Father's Day is not quite going to meet where Mother's Day is. They still outstrip us by just a bit. But in terms of total spending, we're looking at about $20 billion in wow. total spending for Father's Day. It comes out to just under 200 bucks or so for those people that are spending money on debt. So, so again, mothers have us just by a little bit, <laughs> but if you're doing an average spend of around 170 to 200 bucks, there's a lot of good items out there that you can get, whether it be a bunch of small items that dad could use or you're going for one big item. Yeah, uh, that's still a pretty good chunk of change uh, for dad. So do you have some gift ideas uh, particularly uh, for uh, practical uh, things, because that's one of the things. Uh, guys like practical gifts, and uh, it says here you have some stuff that can help dad around the house. Yeah, definitely around the house. This will fall into one of those more practical, smaller gifts that, that they could use. But so many of us, when we're thinking about our dads or for dads ourselves like I am, we're thinking about how do we get our outside ready, our backyard, whether it be landscaping or uncovering the pool, the barbecues, things like that. But if you think about what's going on inside of the house and you think about those warm summer months, inevitably you're going to get those unwanted pesky insects that pay us all a visit. So if you do a great gift item, again, think about this almost like a stocking stuffer for Father's Day is that you could get him the Zevo Flying Insect Trap. It has this irresistible blue light that continuously lights up and it attracts and traps the insects into a powerful adhesive backing so you never have to touch it. And it's got a great, very sleek white and gray design. So if you just plug it in, if you've got a white backdrop, or if you just want to keep it discreet, it's off in the corner. It's not like one of those old uh, bug zappers that you would have outside growing up where you'd hear the bug frying yeah. in the background. Yeah. None, of, none of that. It's very discreet uh, with two kids. It's very important for me to make sure that they're not touching stuff that they shouldn't touch. So it has no chemical insecticides, no odors, no mess. So that's a great gift idea. Yeah. Uh, some really uh, cool stuff. Uh, also, uh, of course, this just the reality of where we are right now with the uh, economy and inflation squeezing so many budgets. Uh, you have some suggestions on how we can be smart with our spending and yet still show dad some extra appreciation. Exactly. You want to be smart with your spending. You also want to get stuff that dads will actually want to use. So any dad that's on the go will love these two products and you'll be able to buy these products on a third mention that I'm going to do. It's the first one for dads on the go. You want to keep your drinks cool. You could do that with the Magellan Outdoor Pro Explore Leak Proof Square 12 can cooler. That's a mouthful, but when you drop your 12 pack in there, it's definitely going to keep it cool all day. If you want to keep cool on your body, there's something from the Duluth Trading Company. It's their buck naked boxers. They're formulated to fight odor, no sweat, wicks away uh, wetness. So those are great. And you can buy both of those and so many more other products from leading brands on a uh, cashback rewards platform. Uh, service called Ibotta. They offer free cash back on all of those products. On the two that I mentioned, you can get 4% cash back for Father's Day in Ibotta. So it's an easy one-stop place, an app where you could use to buy the buy uh, the items, but you could also get cash back rewards to continue shopping for other items. Yeah, uh, so you can uh, sock away those savings for uh, his birthday or anniversary or maybe even Christmas. Just planting the seed. Exactly. Just planting the seed. Yep. Uh, just planting the seed, just in case if you want to plan <laughs> yeah, ahead. It's always I'm just, good to plan ahead so you don't end up with a tie or a tie clip <laughs> that everyone gets. I'm just saying. Uh, again, uh, Mike Bako is with us, uh, trends editor for the uh, Daily National. How are you uh, spending Father's Day this year? 
you know, hopefully just spending it with my kids. Last year, my wife and I got a, what my wife got me, uh, Mets tickets. So I took my son to awesome. his first baseball game. That is so So cool. that was great. It's, a, it's an experience. I've got a five-year-old and a two-year-old now. Hopefully we're doing something. Uh, that we could all do together and build those experiences and build those memories. Amen to that, because that's what it's all about. After all, again, uh, Mike Bako is with us uh, this morning. Where do we get more information about all of this stuff? You can go to dailynational.com for more information. We'll get it linked up at our webpage as well. Mike, thanks very much. Happy Father's Day. Always a pleasure being with you, Chris. Thanks. And that will finish up our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program, of course. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. That, of course, is goodmornings.net. You can also connect with us on social media, contact us directly via email, sign up for our daily email newsletter, and more. Again, goodmornings.net. Until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.